This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast as we begin uh, the long NBA playoff run. And this year, uh, it's a lot more fun around here because the Knicks are back. And not only back, they have really generated quite a following this year and a lot of enthusiasm for the first time in a very long time. It's a team that people like. It's a team that people actually believe in a little bit. Uh, They have a long way to go, but it is emblematic of years gone by. The Garden will be flying next Friday when they come back for Game 3, but they have a couple of tough games to deal with first with Cleveland. Uh, Jeff Van Gundy knows those days. He was there when the Garden was rocking on a regular basis, and uh, obviously he has a lot of work to do during these NBA playoffs, and he joins us now. Jeff, welcome. How are you? Doing fine. How's everything? Good, thank you. All right, what's the overview this year uh, for the NBA playoffs? In a word, what is the overview? Well, two words, Eastern dominance. I think the uh, Eastern Conference has the three best teams in the league, and I think the champion eventually will come out of the Eastern Conference. Do you – so you don't believe that – the Suns can get to a much higher level. They haven't lost with Durant. They obviously have four very, very talented players if they are all healthy. What's your thoughts on the Suns? I think they're the most talented team in the Western Conference. I think their depth is a little bit of an issue. I think Chris Paul, it'll, it'll, it won't be determined by Booker or Durant or Aiton. I think those are pretty known quantities. I think Chris Paul has had an up and down season, highly intelligent player, uh, very physically uh, tough. If he can withstand the long uh, crucible of the playoffs, then I do believe they'll come out of the West. And once you make the finals, obviously when you have great players like Durant and Booker, you've got a great chance. I just think when I look at the, the Bucks and the Celtics, they have such a terrific balance between offense and defense. Even though Milwaukee's offense this year has been up and down, I just think if Middleton's healthy, uh, whoever wins that battle will have enough to beat a Phoenix or whoever comes out of the West. We're talking with Jeff Van Gundy. Jeff, um, Let's start with the East, as you mentioned. Um, the Bucks and the Celtics are the two favorites to win the whole thing. The Suns are the third favorite, the favorite to come out of the West. Um, Denver's fourth, then Golden State and Philly, and then the Lakers actually are next, believe it or not. But uh, let's start with the two teams at the top. How do you separate the Bucks and the Celtics? Well, I think the Celtics 
which is very hard to do, Mike. They were top three in both offense and defense. And when you have that well-balanced of a team, you have a great chance. And I think defensively, they're so good. If Robert Williams is available and healthy, they are so good because there's no weakness that you can try to exploit. Offensively, to me, even though their numbers say they're great, I think they're very reliant on the three-point shot, which has me a bit concerned uh, if, if you get to a winner-take-all type of game, seventh game on the road, does your three-point shooting travel? So that's my one concern there. They don't get to the free-throw line, you know, those type of things. Milwaukee, you know, when you're led by such a supernova like uh, Giannis, He's going to live at the free throw line. He's going to live around the basket area. I love the combination of Giannis, Holiday, and Middleton when healthy. Now, the big question for them is, is he healthy enough to play well? And he's missed a lot of time this year. He, even when we do their games, he still doesn't look when he plays like he's close to totally back from a mobility agility standpoint because down the stretch of close games their best offense is when they put Middleton and Giannis in a pick and roll if that's reduced at all that level of effectiveness then they're vulnerable too you know it's clear that you know when the games boil down it comes down to Giannis just brute forcing his way to the basket and usually living on the foul line that's usually that that's their games Uh, he's unbelievable the the relentlessness with which he plays uh, is truly remarkable to watch. And if you're a Bucks fan, to get to see it every game, I'm sure it leaves you somewhat mesmerized. I, I think he is uh, relentless. I think he is team first in every way. And obviously the jump shot, the free throw shooting, they're, they're both erratic. But what you know you're going to get every night with him uh, is that relentless approach to attacking the basket and protecting the basket on the other end. I think what's undersold is how much improvement Brooke Lopez has made defensively in Milwaukee. He's, he could be the defensive player of the year, which no one would have said when he played for the Nets. And you combine that with Giannis's uh, attitude and effort towards defense, you truly have a team that locks down the paint, and uh, it's impressive. You know, you talk about the qualities Giannis brings. It's also the same qualities with some different things like his passing that uh, LeBron James brings. How many minutes, though, can LeBron James act, you know, really bring that for at this age? Yeah, the numbers he's put up is remarkable. They really are. Obviously, he's missed a, a ton of time this year, or really the last few years, and – can he sustain if they were to make a long playoff run? I, I think that's a, a question that is reasonable. But I, I think within any, like the first round series against Memphis, there's no reason with the days in between, you know, the first round series is elongated. Yep, He's going to have plenty of rest time and recuperation time. I, I think he can play, you know, 36, 38 minutes in those games without question. You know, he and Davis are better when they stay away from each other. Uh, and you can, 
get more where you accentuate one or the other so that they're, you know, one's on the floor at all times and it keeps them away from each other too because, let's be honest, uh, the Lakers are better when, than when, when it's LeBron and the group rather than with Davis. Yeah, I think those trends from the regular season, whatever they show, the one thing you have to be alert to as a fan is that your only true chance in the playoffs is if your best players can meld together and find that elusive chemistry that everybody seeks. And Davis and James are no different. When they won it in the bubble, they were a, uh, a well-balanced team surrounding those two with shooting, but they have to be able to be on the floor, particularly down the stretch of these hard fought games. You know, the other night when they played in that uh, playing game against Minnesota that went to overtime, you know, James was uh, the worst plus minus on the floor for LA. He was a minus 14. So Davis was a plus nine. They've got to figure out. Yep. And I think they will like how to mold their best uh, minutes together. And, and I think we have to also, uh, give them some grace because they're still trying to find because they made so many changes near the all-star break to their roster. They're still trying to figure out who they want to play come playoff. What do you think? Who do you think their best lineup is around them? I, I love uh, Schroeder's ball pressure. I don't know if you were able to see the play in game, Mike. Against yeah, Minnesota. I did. I watched it. Yeah, he was terrific. Uh, defensively in that fourth quarter. I, I love what he brings. And obviously people remember the corner jump shot he made to put him up three, but I just love his, uh, the speed element he gives them and the defensive tenacity. I think Austin Reeves has been a huge find. For yeah. Help gave them a big lift offensively in that game. Reeves. Yeah. He's, he's just a really good player at both ends. And then I think they have some, you know, they have to figure out, between, you know, Vanderbilt, Troy Brown, Rui Hachimura, you know, Malik Beasley. They've got to try to pick on a given night what would give them the best chance, D'Angelo Russell. Uh, but I like Schroeder a lot um, to go with James and Davis because of the speed and the defense. Um, where do you put Golden State now? And what do you foresee Wiggins' role to be since he missed so much time? Yeah, that's a hard one, isn't it? Like a guy who's come back and, you know. Because let's be honest, he was incredibly good for them. I mean, he was the the reason. I mean, let's be honest, he he was great last year. He was. uh, You know, next to Curry, uh, who obviously is the guy, Wiggins was the second most important no question uh, player in their championship run. So um, that he's been out a lot, you know, it, it's, it's been such a strange year for them. Dominant at home, awful on the road. And yet, even with all of that, even with the Wiggins missing of so many games, um, I don't know what Vegas says, but I think most people in basketball think they're the favorite over a Sacramento team who is elite offensively and a suspect defensively. Yeah, no, they're favored in the series, no question. Yeah, and so um, I I think it's a dangerous first-round series because of that. Uh, 
I, I think obviously, you know, Golden State with Curry at home and Curry and their defense at home is elite. Now, what they're going to try to do going on the road, I think Sacramento is being undersold a little bit in this. Fox has turned into a dynamic player and Sabonis is a, like a Jokic light. I mean, he's that good from a scoring, passing, rebounding. Yeah, he fills up the standpoint. box score. Oh, my goodness. He is terrific. So I think Sacramento, even though they're the higher seed, people would consider it a huge upset. I'm just not as con- I'm just not as convinced it would be as big an upset. I think Sac got a, a great chance uh, to win that series. And how deep do you think Memphis's problems are? Well, I think Memphis, and again, I think, you know, they're sort of probably like it's a toss-up series against L.A. I don't know what Vegas says about that, Mike, yep. but, like, I think people, again, think it's sort of a toss-up. My biggest issue has nothing to do with the Morant situation off the floor. Their front line, Memphis, has been decimated by injuries. They're going to be missing Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark, their top two centers, and they – uh, Adams gave them incredible screen setting and offensive rebounding and defensive knowledge. And Clark was this energizing uh, presence uh, as a six man who certainly would have been in that consideration for six man of the year had he not hurt his Achilles. Um, so they're starting down, they're playing their third center. I think that's going to be a tough matchup with Davis. I, I think Memphis. May still win the series, but I think um, their their injury situation is being underplayed, and I think it could have a dramatic impact on this first round series. We're talking with Jeff Van Gundy. The Bet Rivers coming out of the West numbers are Phoenix is nine to five, Golden State and Denver are three to one, Lakers are six to one, Memphis is seven to one. And then it falls all the way down to the Clippers and Sacramento at 14 to one. So clearly the second and third favorites are Golden State and Denver. We didn't mention Denver yet. Denver's also the fourth favorite to win the whole thing at eight to one uh, tied with Golden State. Uh, how about Denver? Yeah, I think Denver had a had a great season and then they had a really uh, substandard last three weeks where Jokic, he wasn't like Embiid. He wasn't driven to win the MVP. It was, it was sort of odd to me. Um, he did not play nearly as well as he had throughout the course of the season. I, I think Denver um, against either, you know, the winner of Minnesota OKC tonight, I, I think they'll come through that series. I don't think either one would be easy, but I think they'll come through and, I, I just, I don't know if they have enough, um, particularly at the defensive end of the floor uh, in these type of series. Jokic is an incredible player. They're so well coached. They've got, you know, good, you know, Jamal Murray is a, a good number two. You know, Porter, Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. It seems like a good fit. They were really good. And they've got to find themselves once again because their last three weeks have been sort of uninspiring. The only other team that's in the first bracket of favorites in the postseason is the Sixers. Um, 
They're the third favorite heavily in the East behind the big two. The Bucks are even money to get out of the East. The Celtics are uh, eight to five, and then it falls to five and a, to five to one for Philadelphia. But Philly is the only one even close after that. Um, obviously, uh, they have ability. They have probably the MVP. Um, how about the Sixers? I think the one thing that's always held the Sixers back, um, or one thing, one of the components is Embiid's ability to play well down the stretch of hard-fought playoff games. He's got to find his way um, to more efficient play in fourth quarters of playoff games. And I think he's capable. He's had another terrific uh, regular season. He's very talented at both ends of the floor. But I think his conditioning and the intensity of the play sometimes prevents him from playing his best when his best is needed in the fourth quarters. And so I think they've got to have the answer to that. I think Harden obviously has to be. Really Plus, good. what do you what do you look for, Jeff? You figure you got to get forty minutes a night. Except you know, put blowouts aside, you got to get forty minutes out of your big guy, right? I mean, you go into it, you know, you might even push for forty two, right, in the playoffs. I mean, you 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 know, uh, and the freakish guys might even go up from there, but. How many minutes do you have to have out of these guys, foul trouble aside, in the postseason? Yeah, I would say Embiid is a little bit different. Uh, the size, uh, like if you're if you can get thirty six, thirty eight, so you can't him, push and, him to forty in your mind. Well, I think you could in in a limited, like you know, let's say Mike, you're going, they're playing Boston in the second round, and it's a it's a game six and seven. Yep. Yeah, could he play forty in those? Absolutely, right. But I don't think you can um, do that from game one against the Nets. I don't even think you have to to win. And sometimes um, I think that may actually they might actually have to try to figure out what he's capable of so that he can really play well in these fourth quarters. You know, his turnover issues. Um, and and they're doing some really smart things. Doc Rivers, like he's not putting him in the low post as much because there was it was harder to get him the ball. The double teams, turnovers. They're playing him more in the elbow area, the free throw line, where he's, um, you know, just so good. And just like Giannis, we were talking, you know, he lives at the free throw line. Yep. And I think when you're playing against him, you can't foul obviously because he's an excellent free throw shooter. But also, you want to keep the game going up and down as much as you can, Mike, to try to take advantage of some conditioning issues that can crop up. Well, you expect any of these big guys, whoever they are in the playoffs, they're going to get to the foul line. I mean, that's obviously what great players do in the postseason. They get to the foul line. They get, you know, it's the easiest place to score. And obviously, they're going to get there, you would figure, even the ones that you know, are not going to the basket that much, they're still going to get to the foul line in these games. That's all there is to it. And and some of them are going to get there 15 times. Well, Embiid and Giannis have shown that ability uh, throughout their time in the NBA. And I think going back to the Lakers, that's what Anthony Davis has to do for them. LeBron's free throws have dropped dramatically uh, because he's turned into more of a jump shooter. Yep. But he he, he at times in critical games, He's got to make sure he finds his way there as well. So 
you're right. And that is, you know, going back to the, even the Warriors, that's their biggest issue um, is they foul and they don't get to the free throw line. Right. So they're super reliant on, you know, their their transition transitional game, three threes game. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, that free throw line, as you were just saying, is just so important, so valuable, and all that's heightened in the playoffs. Hey, you have to be able in the playoffs to get a bucket. That that the key to the NBA. You know, we talk about it, and you were a, a defensive coach. Your teams played great defense, but the key is that you separate the men from the boys when you can go down and get a basket or get two points on a foul line when you need it in the NBA. You can't win if you don't do that. No, and you have to have guys because you can go and get your own shot. At at those points of the game, you're not going to run tricky plays that fool teams. You've got to have, you know, guys either like in Philly, as we were speaking about, Embiid isolating at the foul line or the two-man game of Harden and Embiid, which is so hard to guard, creating, you know, an opportunity for either one of them or the kickout three. So, yeah, you you need those guys, and, you know, they're the home run hitters, and they've got to bring you home. Uh, and that doesn't mean necessarily shoot the ball down the stretch, but create the advantage. So if a second guy comes on a double team, you know, to have the ability to spray it out, and give it up, and it leads to a good wide-open shot for a teammate. All right, I've buried the lead. I've kept the Knicks uh, away because that's what people want to hear about. Uh, there's a lot of excitement around the team for the first time in a long time. There's a likability factor here for the first time in a long time. Um, bringing Brunson in was a really smart. Bringing Hart in melded the team on both ends of the floor and changed them completely. I am not a Randall guy. I can't stand Randall. I'll be happy when he's not here. I, I, and I worry about him in the playoffs because last year he was an embarrassment in the playoffs. I don't like him. Never have. Never will. Uh, love Brunson. Uh, love Hart. Love what they bring to the team. Uh, how about the Knicks just as an entity first in their first-round matchup against uh, an underrated Cleveland team? Yeah, I don't know why Cleveland's underrated, like you said, Mike. But no one are. talks and, about Cleveland, but they're you know, a good team. They're really good. They're they got the second best point differential in the East. They're uh, a dominant defensive team, uh, and they've got the home run hitter in Donovan Mitchell, who's the most proven player in the series, and he's going to be first team or second team All NBA. He's had an incredible year and an incredible impact on the Cavaliers so that they're a very well-balanced team. But I do believe um, the biggest issue uh, that faces the Knicks is the lack of rhythm going into the playoffs. Brunson's missed 11 of the last 14 games. Yeah, with the ankle. And now obviously Randall's hurt. Randall's been out and, and Barrett was out before that. So we have, you have three, your three best scorers who have all, dealt with injuries that have impacted the ability to develop rhythm over the last two to three weeks of the season. So I'm really concerned about how well they'll play right off the bat. And then I think, as you mentioned, I think Brunson, you can, you can make the case that, and I I haven't really thought about it like you would have from a free agent signing. 
how many better free agent signings have happened for the Knicks or in New York sports recently? Hey, he, I, mean, he guy, would, I had people who were knocking the deal. I said, he's cheaper twice the price. I loved him. First of all, I loved him since Villanova. I loved him down in Dallas. Uh, down in Dallas, they know they screwed up. Even Cubans have made excuses, you know, brought his father into it. And his father can be a pain in the neck. We know that. Uh, the bottom line is uh, it was not a smart move on their part. And he changed the Knicks completely. And then when Hart came, they went to a different level just in cohesiveness on both ends. Plus, he gave them a toughness defensively that they didn't have. That's absolutely right. And and he's a great rebounder. He'll push off a rebound in transition. And, and Jalen uh, Brunson, uh, you know, because I coached his dad, Rick, a, a couple yep. times, both in New York and Houston, uh, he – He's had this incredible poise ever since he was a kid playing. You know, he's got he's got great skill. He's got supreme confidence, but he also has poise and humility. And when you combine all those things, you have a chance to be a player that continually improves. And I say this to anybody I meet. When I saw Jalen play in summer league after he was drafted, he was overmatched. He was awful. And from that point, all he's done is work and got better, worked and got better, worked and got better. So to the point where, you know, it's very possible he'll make an all NBA team, one of the three teams. I think he, I don't know how he was overlooked as an all-star this year in the Eastern conference. I thought that was very, very uh, bad choosing by the Eastern conference coaches, but uh, this guy, he's truly their best player. And he gives them their best chance, as Mitchell does for Cleveland, to make all the right plays down the stretch of these hard-fought games. You mentioned Randall. I think it's Randall's biggest uh, problem area is his lack of poise. Oh, he's a terrible – let's be honest, Jeff. He's a terrible fourth-quarter player. He's a, he's a terrible player down the stretch. And last year in the playoffs, he got embarrassed. He was awful. He was deadly bad on, in, in the Atlanta series last year. Yeah, he, he just, he just, he, you need, you know, obviously skill. And he, and, and let's not take away from Randall that Randall in the first three and a half quarters of these games this, this season, um, last year, obviously he was bad in the regular season the year before he was great in the regular season, struggled against Atlanta in the playoffs, as you said, but he's been really good through three and a half quarters, but when he tries to do too much, hold on to the ball too long, over dribble down the stretch of games, nothing good happens. And that's where, you know, he has to defer to their best player, and that's Jalen Brunson. Now that I agree, especially down the stretch. Yes, down the stretch. Doesn't mean he's not gonna he won't be open to shoot, but when it's the over dribbling, the over holding on to the ball that brings problems. And so Brunson's going to have to, he's going to have to make plays because he's, he's going to be doubled particularly late when he's isolating against an uh, unfavorable matchup. He's going to have to make the right plays and the other Knicks, you know, do they have enough three point shooting? And this is where Randall who shot the three. Well, he's going to have, that's where he's going to have to shine late and hopefully Barrett quickly. Um, can Grimes do that as well. Yeah. yeah. Grimes had a heck of a year. Yeah. Hey, how do you deal with the phenomena that quickly probably has become in his own head? Uh, 
let's be honest, he's had some crazy games, as you know. He's had, you know, 40-point games. He's become a darling of the fans. Uh, but in the playoffs now, he's got to morph back into his role and understand what his role is. But how much you want to rely on him in these playoffs, knowing he can be an explosive scorer? He's had a really good year. A lot of those big games came as starters. So when he goes back to the bench, if Randall's healthy, uh, that that's when, and Brunson's healthy, that's when it becomes, you know, you got to figure out your, your role once again, but he's had a heck of a year. Um, obviously when you play quickly and Brunson together, there's some uh, really good offensive benefits and there's some negative, you know, defensive benefits to being that small and that slight. Yep. The uh, Thibodeau has, uh, you know, these tough decisions about mixing and matching. And I would not be surprised at all. You basically know there's going to be a center on the floor. There's going to be Randall on the floor. If he's healthy late Brunson and Hart. Picking the fifth guy between quickly Grimes and Barrett is really, really a challenge. Uh, Well, let me ask you uh, this. How do you want to attack their machine on offense in this series? I mean, you know what he's going to do. He averaged 28 points a game this year. You know, you know what he's going to be in this series. How do you want to deal uh, with him in this series? I mean, how do you, you know, how, that's the key. When you start off there is the assignment on him. How you're going to play Mitchell has got to be a huge part of this because you're going to try and keep him from from destroying the game completely. Exactly. And I think what you have to decide as a coaching staff, Mike, is, um, well, you know this. You can't foul these great players because that's like you mentioned earlier with Embiid and uh, Davis, Giannis, all those guys it not only hurts you from a foul trouble standpoint, gives them easy points, but it also allows Cleveland to set their terrific defense. So you have to decide like, all right, how can we not foul him? And then you have to trap him some and blitz him some, but you know, can you play that way for 48 minutes? That's the question because you know, they had good rollers. To well, you want to give him, Jeff, you want to give him 40 and, and worry about everybody else? No, I don't want to do that either. <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, listen, they have some really good players, but they have some unproven, you know, shooting as well. That it's to me, you know, the Knicks have unproven shooting. Cleveland has some unproven shooting. I, I think you're going to see both teams, uh, Brunson and Mitchell, the challenge is going to be how to retain your assertiveness and aggressiveness and how do you handle the double teams? You have to get off the ball. You have to be able to trust your teammates so that as the, that they feel like a rhythm and they're involved in the game if they're going to against the double so that they're ready to make plays late. But you also, there's no way for Cleveland or New York to win if all they're doing is passing, you know, the best players are passing. So I think this is a balancing act, how much trapping to do without opening up the offensive boards to Cleveland's uh, size and length. And, um, and New York's a terrific offensive rebounding team too. So how much doubling, how much rotation you want to be in. I I think both coaching staffs um, have a big dilemma in 
trying to limit the best players on the, on the opposing teams without opening up the three-point shot and second shots. What's the big what's the best case scenario for the Knicks in your mind in this series? Can they win this series or is that asking too much? I I think Unlike a lot of people, I think they're a prohibitive underdog. Right. I, I, I think this is going to be a very hard series, too. I, I don't think very, it's a great matchup. No. I think it's the only matchup they could win in the first round. They, right. they, I don't think they'd have a chance against, you know, they're way behind Milwaukee, Boston, Philly in talent. And so so this is the one um, series that I think they could win and they could be the most competitive. But this is a good – I don't think people realize they've, they've ignored Cleveland. Cleveland's a good team. Yes, they are. Now, they have some inexperience in the, in the playoffs as well. Um, they have some, you know, shooting, just like the Knicks are a bad three-point shooting team. You know, uh, Mitchell is the guy. Winston Garland's very good. But they have some unproven shooting too. And they have Coro coming back who's not a great shooter. Seti Osman's up and down, you know, so they have some, they have some things too, but I just think Cleveland's going to win in, in uh, five or six games. I just think they're, they're better. And like I said, I think Mitchell is the most proven player in his role in the series. Do you think there's a yin and yang that has to be dealt with, with Randall's accepting what Brunson is to the team? Uh, uh, You know, that's been a little bit tricky all year. Well, I think, I think everyone who's involved with the team, who watches the team, it might have been up to debate earlier in the year. But there's no debate now. Every, everybody knows, to me, that the closer is Jalen Brunson. And the ball has to be in his hands to create the right play down the stretch of these hard-fought games. I think, it's, I think that's obvious. Now, he had 48... Um, against Cleveland the last time. So their antenna is going to be up. He's going to have to fi- uh, fight off more and more aggressive double teams, I believe, and he's going to have to make the right play. But I think their shot is to go through, you know, Brunson late and have everybody uh, graciously accept he is our go-to guy and we're going to play off of him. I agree. I I, th- I think it has to be that way. Uh, and uh, the one good thing is what Hart has brought to the team. You know, when healthy in down the stretch, they they won a lot of games with Hart. And Hart has brought a real cohesiveness and a real intensity to them. You know, he's become a big crowd favorite, as you know. He's diving in the stands for loose balls. He's a, he's a guy who plays hard on every play. Yeah, and this is going to be, I believe, his first playoff experience, yep. uh, which is, you know, um, it's pretty far into your career to this be your first playoff experience. But the one, the one question with Hart is the three point shooting. Right. And so that's to me, what makes Ibido's challenge about who to pair with Hart, Randall, a center and Brunson down the stretch. Do you need Quickly's off the dribble game? Do you need Barrett's uh, rim attacking to his left hand, or you need Grimes combination of spot up shooting and defense. Uh, I think those... I think Grimes is going to have to carry a lot of weight defensively in the series. I don't think there's any way around it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think um, he's going to have to be terrific um, in negotiating these screens, not fouling, you know, not being overzealous and fouling jump shooters, 
He's going to have to be able to compose himself um, and understand that you can play great defense against these great offensive players and that they can score. And you have to have the ability to have a short memory, come back, be disciplined on the next possession, and understand that they average what they average because these guys are great players. What you can't do, Mike, is foul them or make disciplined game plan mistakes that open up the floor. I'm talking with Jeff Van Gundy. Jeff, if there's a surprise out of the East and it's not the Celtics or the Bucks, who would it be? Is it anybody but the Sixers? Do you think the Cavs could get that kind of run or is it just the top two and that's it? You couldn't see anybody else winning. I don't really see anybody else winning other than the top two, but if I was going to say a surprise, I'd have to say Cleveland because okay. they're being really overlooked in what they've done all season. And they've been overlooked from a defensive standpoint, just how good they are. Yeah. Good defensive uh, team. Mo- Absolutely. Mobley and Jared Allen. Yep. Uh, that combination is terrific defensively. And no so, question. I, I totally agree. Um, yeah. And in the West, who would be now the surprise names in the West are obviously big, famous teams. So we know that, but who would be your surprise if there was a surprise in the West? I think all four top-seeded teams in the West could lose in the first round. And so my surprise would be the Clippers beating Phoenix. Um, I I think because of the Clippers, how they treat the regular season with almost disdain, you know, um, if Paul George can get back, and I think that's a huge if, but if he can get back and you have Paul George and you have Kawhi Leonard, you can win any series you play. And so if I was – if I had to take a, a what would be thought of as an underdog or surprise, it would have to be the Clippers. I think they have size, depth, and two of those home run hitters in George and Kawhi Leonard that can carry you to beat anybody. See, I think the Lakers, while everyone wants to see them go a distance, we all know that, uh, the bottom line is I just don't think they're good enough defensively to, to do it. I just think their defense is so lacking in games. It's sometimes scary how bad their defense is. Well, I think they, I think their roster changed so much. At you the, think now at they can play some defense. I think they're, yeah, I think, I think, you know, they were like destructive defensively down the stretch of that Minnesota game that we saw where they held, you know, yep. they got off to a poor start, but you know, in the, um, you know, over the last, you know, uh, 17 minutes of the last quarter and overtime, they held Minnesota to 16 points. Now offensively, they can be a little clunky at times, you know, um, you know, where, where do they want the ball to go? What actions are they comfortable with? Do they have enough three-point shooting themselves? These are all legitimate questions. Um, I I know they're the, like, in, in L.A., they're sort of like the sentimental favorite, like this would be a great story. I think the Clippers have a better chance of coming out of the West than the Lakers. And and how how much would you be surprised by a Golden State run? Nothing tell nothing from the regular season would give you confidence that they're poised to make that run. But the way the brackets have broken for them, uh, Wiggins coming back, which I thought was extremely critical. You know, he needs to be able to play well. You just have this feeling like 
they have Curry. They have the ability to to lock in defensively. You know, it hasn't shown up on the road this year, but at home they're dominant defensively. You can just see them being able to sort of like last year, sort of figure out a way through these teams and, and get themselves to the Western finals. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're playing for it all again. So, um, again, n- nothing they've done in this regular season gives you that confidence, but their history, Steph Curry's greatness, Wiggins coming back, I think uh, gives them hope. Uh, NBA playoff basketball is a whole different world. We know that, okay? First of all, when you guys have a chance to zero in on a team for two weeks, there's really nothing that you don't know about them or aren't able to take away. So you expect two things that's happened with this league this year that I don't particularly like. Number one, the scoring has gotten absurd, okay? Number two, the three-point reliance has gotten absurd. I mean, some of these games, they're shooting 93s, 83s. How far do you think scoring will go down in the postseason? How far do you think reliance on the three will go down in the postseason? I don't think reliance on the three will go down, but I think it is it's dangerous when you get, you know, everybody talks about the three-point shot, the increased value over the 82 regular season games. And I think there's there's different analytics that play into the postseason. It is different. Um, just like the fourth quarter of games is different, the playoffs are different. And so I think if you're going to be a great playoff team, you need a guy like a Durant, like a Kawhi Leonard, who can go get a bucket in the mid-range when you need it. If you think you're just going to, like not take any mid-range jump shots and, and, you know, just get layups, free throws and threes. I think you're mistaken in the NBA in the playoffs. Well, let's look at all the things that change, Jack, Jeff. Number one, uh, everybody plays, which is a joke in the NBA. Okay. Uh, Most nights there's three and four. There's so many people sitting out. You can't even keep, you, you can't even control how many people sit out. So everybody plays. Number two, you guys shorten your rotations. So now you have only your better players playing. Uh, you can really shorten your bench. Some guys, Riley used to always say never more than eight. You know, you guys all shorten your rotations. And then you are so much more reliant on scouting because you know everything about these opponents because you're playing one team for two weeks and it's all about one team which is never in the regular season. All that in itself should help you dramatically you know, make it a much tougher, tighter game. Yeah, and I think too, it'll be, it's going to be interesting to to go back to your your point about scoring. Do teams keep playing like a lot of free flowing? Do they run more sets? Do they, um, you know, how much more defensive effort are you getting? How much more contact is allowed by the right? More, more contact and also cutting yeah. the game down where you take away transition baskets and make it a half court game where you make, you, you stop some of these easy transition baskets. Yeah. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see how much the game changes this year in the playoffs from the regular season. I think it still will be higher scoring than uh, many of the years we've had in the playoffs, but I think it does come down. But look at some uh, of the scoring in the regular season. Now it's gotten crazy. Yeah, and, and it's uh, and I think that the other thing, uh, Mike, is there many of the games in the regular season look very similar. People, you know, like you mentioned, uh, 
heavy reliance on the three-point shot, um, people giving up more transition. Uh, you know, it's just a, it's, it, a lot of the games look the same. And I'll be interested to see, you know, how many of those free-flowing games turn into more half-court slugs, particularly in the second half, in the fourth quarter. I, I think that's going to be fascinating to watch. A couple of things. Who's the best player in this league right now? In your mind, runs. if Jeff Van Gundy's starting his team tomorrow and you got a series to win, who are you picking to be your – who's your best player? Who are you building your if team I had around? I to pick one player to win a series and really doesn't have anything to do with best player, but I love Giannis's relentlessness. So I, you I would take him – if you were drafting right now for your – if you had to win a series, you were going to take him right now? I would. Okay. Who's the best defensive player in the league right now? Well, I think you've got to separate it into wing defenders and then, you know, like these, you know, basket Well, give me, give me the rim protector and give me the, well, the, I, the, I, I the, wing, the wing guy you Jaren take. Jaron Jackson Jr. is uh, tremendous, but I think Brooke Lopez has been really? absolutely okay. stellar. Like okay. he's, been, he's been great. And, again, with the wing defenders, it's who, who, who do you count on? like most to still be able to get those stops. Yeah. Even though they may not play 48 minutes of defense, like Kawhi Leonard is exceptional. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys like Alex Caruso, who nobody ever heard of, who's with Chicago, that I think is a tremendous wing defender. So there's a lot of guys out there, but what you need is guys who don't hurt you on offense that also guard. So it's cliche to say now two-way players but really all those guys are guys who care deeply about winning that have enough talent on offense, like a Kawhi Leonard. Those are the guys you're seeking. How has the coaching changed, Jeff, with the influx of analytics into every sport? And in your mind, since you've coached, how has the coaching changed most dramatically? Uh, I think the influence of the general manager or the front office on how people coach and then most certainly how you prepare for games. Do you think uh, the, the regime- general manager using his analytic forces or whatever his department, do you think they are interfering dramatically with the coaches on a day-to-day basis now? I don't know if interfering is the right word, but I think there is influence there that, um, the coach has to be the, accepting to their information, yeah, correct? Yeah, I think there used to be a, a little bit more autonomy or a lot more autonomy gotcha. as far as a coach. Um, Do you think most coaches then, look at that as interference? Um, I think it really – I think it depends on how it's presented. You know, like – If you were like, coaching I, right now, how would you accept it? Yeah. You know, Daryl Morey, when my last year in Houston, he, he was there um, – and now he's like the godfather of NBA analytics. Right. And I loved it because I think he understood that there was a balance between what your eyes told you and what the numbers told you. And and he was into debate. Like it wasn't dogmatic. It was debate. And I love the debating about what was best. Because to me, if you're if you're shown a number that goes against what you believe it makes you as a coach go back there and really study why do I believe what I believe and is, is it right? And I think that's the value of those, those numbers. It's trying to come to a decision that you feel is, 
is best and right for your team. And when you have a, a at that time, Daryl was an assistant general manager, but I loved all the information he gave and it spurred a lot of thought and debate without taking away uh, from your experience as a, as a coach in what you see, because a number may tell you one thing, but you may have a truly logical and reasonable explanation for why you don't actually buy that number. And so he was very open to that. So I think it really goes back to the attitudes of general manager and coach that they're working together uh, toward a common goal and they're not going to be offended by a difference of opinion. You know what happens, Jeff? And it's, it's true of anyone who follows the game, whether you're a coach or whether you're a uh, media person or you're even just a diehard fan. A lot of the stuff that you used to chafe at becomes accepted norm. Like people now all look at plus minus people now all look at stuff per possession. That was stuff that was very new and very trendy and very, you know, out in the forefront and radical in those days years ago. Yeah. And I think you have to be careful. I I saw Thibodeau. He said something earlier in the year that I, I truly believe he said, if you torture the numbers long enough, they'll confess to anything. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think, think that's you have I to, think that's true yeah yeah and I think you have to be very cognizant of that like that you don't have so much information that it becomes paralyzing this game is played by uh human beings and it's and it's still a momentum game you know high, yeah there's a lot that goes into it some in your control some out of your control And I think what you have to be able to do is coaches have to feel the autonomy that they can make a decision that they feel is best in the heat of battle where you don't have a lot of times to be examining spreadsheets. So um, that doesn't mean coaches are always right because obviously we all make mistakes, but you have to have the coaching confidence that you have the backing of your ownership and management to do what you feel is right at the moment of truth. I mean, let's be honest. Basketball is a game of minimizing runs and accentuating your runs and minimizing their runs. Let's be honest. Has a lot to do with it. And particularly when you're going down the stretch of these close games, like in the playoffs, you know, the numbers sort of like you, you got to get a stop, you know, or you got to get a, like a hoop. And sometimes you can, you can make, uh, a shot after a terrible possession and you can miss a shot after a great possession. And, you know, it's confounding at times, you know, the game is, uh, it is, it's, it's sometimes it's based on a bounce of the ball here, a call there, uh, a made shot against great defense or a missed shot against poor defense. So it's, you know, there is a luck factor that goes into these games as well. Well, listen, appreciate it very much. Nice to talk to you, as always. Uh, and uh, we'll be watching along the way. So thanks very much. You got it, Mike. Take care. Thank you very much, Jeff. Jeff Van Gundy, uh, you'll see him obviously doing the games throughout the NBA uh, postseason. Uh, he didn't give the Knicks that big a chance. But let's be honest, the Knicks are in a tough series. I mean, the, Cleveland's a good team. I mean, i give you an example just to use this uh, as an example. Uh, in the Bet Rivers numbers to to come out of the East 
The Cavs are 11 to 1. The Knicks are 30 to 1. Okay? That's to win the Eastern Conference. To win the championship, the Cavs are 29 to 1, and the Knicks are 50 to 1 to win the whole thing. The favorites to win, this is the Bet Rivers numbers right now. Bucks are 2 to 1 favorites. Celtics are 3.5 to 1. Suns are 4.5 to 1, and I think the Suns are coming out of the West unless somebody gets hurt. I think they're the best team. Uh, Denver's 8 to 1. Golden State's 8 to 1. Phillies, 10 to 1. Lakers are 15. Grizzlies are 17. Sacramento is 29. Cavaliers, 29. Clippers, 29. Knicks, 50. And then it goes down from there. So, and the Nets are 125 to 1. 125 to 1. He made a good point about the Knicks and the idea that they have not had their whole core together for a while and getting yourself cohesive and getting on the same page and getting everything pulling in the same direction in the playoffs is very important. And to get that on the run isn't that easy because they have had to deal with the Brunson injury and him sitting out games. And then, of course, now the Randall injury and how he comes back. So there is a lot to deal with there from that standpoint. Uh, Thanks very much. We have a lot more coming up. So uh, we will be with you after the Knicks games. So Knicks are playing Saturday night at 6. We'll give you a podcast after the game for reaction. And I'm looking forward to it. I'd like to see the Knicks get a split because I just want to experience that Friday night. That's an old-time Friday night. If the Knicks can just be 1-1 and they come home and people think they have a chance in the series, that they will blow the roof off that place. And their home game is 8.30 Friday night, the 21st of April. I am so looking to that, forward to that. We'll see you. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.